just give your life. Never stop for nothing. You know, you, you can do anything you want to. Be yourself at all times. Don't don't be afraid of no nothing, nobody. Be fearless. Friday, January 8th, 2021. Thanks so much for tuning in. Playing a bit of music here to get started. I had a visitor here earlier and uh, just trying to sort that out. And so we thought we'd start off with some music. I already said that. Wow, what a week. I say that all the time. Anyway, uh, but this week's no different. Thanks for tuning in. Perhaps you're listening for the first time. Perhaps you are a repeat listener. Either way, hello, and thanks for tuning in. And 
Uh, we are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco, and we are on unceded Armatouche Ohlone land. And for more information, please go to our webpage, weeklyrev.org, and our meaning for the show. And there's a land acknowledgement tab, and there are a lot of links and sources there that you can find to learn more, including places to donate, maps, as well as native news outlets to follow. So, yeah, um, uh, nothing shocking or surprising really happening, given that uh, for months and months and years, uh, folks have been saying, hey, there's a white supremacists in this country who've been organizing and uh, they are they are part of the police forces and the military and a lot of the politicians don't care and or support it as long as folks don't uh, try to attack capital and and capital as in with an al not ol but you know they're, they're more concerned with uh, capitalism as opposed to the actual capital and uh yeah so the fact that there was this attempted coup uh, is not uh, surprising to anyone who's been paying attention and also they are these folks are out like openly preparing for more violence on January 19th and 20th and this, this is all like public knowledge however certain police and politicians were like huh what how, wh- huh what they were like asleep I guess for a while and just decided not to listen to the people who have been studying this or even just not even people who've been studying it like people who are just uh, aware and I think that's probably one of the most frustrating things is that much like everything else <laughs> that's fucked up about this country, uh, it could have been avoided. It could have been preventable. Had enough folks been wearing masks, for instance, uh, and people been paid to stay home, we wouldn't, uh, with this pandemic would not be raging as it is if everyone also had adequate health care and housing. <sighs> so even though... Uh, they posted on Facebook and various other chat rooms online that there was this, there was supposed to be this riot on January 6th. Some people were like, what, huh? And then there were the folks who were like, oh, well, just ignore them. Or, oh, the cops will take care of them. And that, that clearly worked out, didn't it? And instead of listening to, the, the, these people have been, organi- well, it's kind of loosely organizing, but they've been showing up in places for years now. Remember when they came to Berkeley a number of years ago, maybe 2017, 2018? I, it's, they've come a number of times. And I remember being there, and uh, good old classic Berkeley liberal uh, yelled at us, the, fo- the folks of us who were there to try to push these people out of town. These people come in from out of town to harass people. They end up attacking people, attacking businesses, black-owned businesses. And uh, this Berkeley liberal woman was, I think, was like kind of classic with the car with all the bumper stickers and I the one time I did have a car I did have a lot of bumper stickers on it however I was 17 18 at the time um was like uh, she just could not tell the difference between the two of us the two groups uh the the neo-nazis who were rallying in Berkeley and the Bay Area locals who were trying to get them out and again it's this false two-sidedness and we just want people to like live in peace we're not asking for too much People should feel safe to walk down the street. There should not be discrimination in housing or work. Like these are people should have health care. This is like fucking basic stuff here. And for some reason that's equated with other folks who want to cause violence and harm to people who they think are not like them. 
also the I mean I I would uh, this is the kind of stuff we've been talking about for such a fucking long time and that's what's so enraging and perhaps that's why I'm playing a lot of uh, more punk oriented music today there's also a playlist that I found called uh, let's see oh anti-fascist jams that's it's on Spotify by Tristan Sickles there's 275 songs, so some of those are we'll be playing today on the on the show, and oh, just the fucking the rage, the rage of it all because we don't have to be here. This didn't have to happen. And while I definitely do not have a place in my heart for the corporate Democrats, I certainly don't have a place anywhere for these fucking fascists. Um, and if it wasn't for the corporate Democrats, we wouldn't be here right now. If they had actually decided to not invest in prisons and police and given people health care, given people enough money to live on, made sure everyone had housing, then you would find a lot of folks there would feel a lot more secure. And instead, they just decide to fund military, which, you know, and it's – I did see a funny tweet that was uh, the reason that the coup took place in D.C. was because – because of the travel restrictions, the U.S. can't have a coup anywhere else. I thought that was funny. It was said better than I could say it. Uh, the delivery, well, it was it was well done. And that's kind of, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. And it feels just so, it's like banging your head against the wall. And that's what I've been doing here at this fucking station for seven years. And I recognize I'm constantly learning and making mistakes. And I recognize that. And at the same time, it does feel shocking to know that there are people who are like, who just did not see this happening at all. Who are completely like, what? Huh? What? Like, where the fuck have you been? And perhaps, and you know, we all have different bubbles, people we spend time with, our own personal experiences based on what our bodies are like and how we're seen and how we're viewed and how we grow up and where we live. I recognize every single person's experience in this world is different. And at the same time, if by this point in time you are surprised that these forces are fucking storming the Capitol, like, where, who are you talking to and where have you been? Just because you're not, just because we are not surprised by it, doesn't mean it's not bad. It's just like, yeah, this is what everyone has been saying for such a fucking long time. So angry, and also it's the fucking history of this country. It's not like, oh wow, this isn't the America I know. Like this is how what how America was founded. We're on stolen land, much of it built by people who were enslaved, brought here against their will. Millions of people are fucking locked up for no fucking reason. All the money goes into the military. Nothing for education. How did this happen? Oh, gee, I fucking wonder. And again, I know it's easier for me to talk about it than to, to act on it. So I will be providing a few, I call them action items, and or ways that folks can show up in their people places in D.C. that can use some funds. I mean, I really feel for the folks in D.C. who have to be in the center of this. I have to deal with this fucking nonsense. I remember how it felt here in the Bay Area, and thankfully for a lot of the last few times, we people were able to organize enough to push, get enough people to push these fuckers out. But I do remember at times when we didn't have a lot of people, and it felt very fucking dangerous, and of course the cops took the side of the fascists from out of town. Nothing like getting a tear, gla tear gas you know, thrown at you from the, the police forces in the city that you're in that was uh, that was in berkeley and i remember in, in san francisco too the cops protected them 
Also, speaking of cops, I try not to because when a former Oakland police officer was also apparently at the Capitol, too. Not a surprise. And, yeah, a lot of these cops were uh, taking, you know, not only just assisting the folks with storming the Capitol, but they were there, too. They were just there in their plain clothes or doing whatever. And that's what's happening. So here we are. We're going to, I guess, talk about it as long as we can. It's really fucked up. This is not a comedy show. I used to do comedy, and, uh, yeah, I would get so angry and political that I stopped finding the humor in situations. And I still can to some degree. It just feels really uh, sickening. Really sickening. (sighs) I also happen to have known someone who happened to be in D.C. for the wrong reason. And it's also just heartbreaking, someone I haven't talked to in a number of years. And just to see them kind of, I guess, slip into this propaganda field and wonder if anyone can recover from that. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. And I also blame, the, of course, the educational system in this country and just the, the lack of truth-telling. And it's, it's easier for folks to scapegoat one another than to talk about the complexities and oftentimes contradictions of the truth and of life. And it's harder to be vulnerable. I mean, for some people, maybe. Give me vulnerability anytime. I much prefer that. Someone who's honest and is okay with maybe seeming what folks might view as weak or quiet and non-confrontational. I much prefer that over someone who's just loud and bombastic and doesn't think and is only out to destroy. <sighs> you know, every week it's, uh, I don't think it could get much more down and then, then it happens. But here we are, and we'll share some <laughs> news stories. Ugh, it's all... Uh, okay. This is a thread I thought I would uh, share. I found it on Twitter. I find a lot of information on there. And again, I like to share news from folks who know better than I do. And there's also just so many pieces of information. And so, again, even though I'm talking, I try not to center my own voice. You hear my voice, but I like to share work from other folks. This is from Rebecca Pierce, who shared on Twitter. Um, Rebecca's handle is aptly underscore engineered, E-N-G-I-N-E-E-R-D. And Rebecca says, stop saying the pro-Trump capital coup is something out of another country. There is a long history of violent takeovers of government buildings right here in the U.S., often by white supremacists. Thread. This is a thread here. I've also shared it on Twitter. You can follow along at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. The Wilmington insurrection of 1898 was an anti-reconstruction coup that replaced the local government with white supremacists and helped give birth to the Jim Crow era. There's an article from The Atlantic, The Lost History of an American Coup d'État. Next, uh, the Carroll County Courthouse Massacre occurred in 1886 when a white mob killed 10 black people because two black Native brothers dared to take a white man to court for attacking them. There's a link to uh, mshistorynow.mdah.ms.gov. Next, a major element of U.S. lynch law was forcibly removing people from police custody. This mostly targeted black Americans, but also includes the killing of Leo Frank, a Jewish man who was taken from police in Georgia before being killed. 
Just this year, armed Trump supporters stormed the Michigan State House to protest the governor's COVID lockdown. It was later revealed that militia members also planned to kidnap her. They have a link from BBC. And other folks also have um, a link here. This is from uh, Kholoui Faith M, K-H-O-L-I-W-E Faith M. And it's like a 12-minute a video that um, I'm going to play because I would like to learn about this. And it's good for us to know our history, especially if uh, it's denied to us in a lot of cases. And let me get myself together here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, I can't promise it'll be an uplifting show, but it'll be an informational show. And the truth definitely needs to be heard. So... I'll also be sharing this video on our webpage, weeklyrev.org, later on today. I'm going to bookmark that for myself. And, uh, yeah, uh, let's play this audio. For a long time, if you went to the library in Wilmington, North Carolina, there was one thing you weren't allowed to research. We were refused. We were rejected by the librarian. When I asked about or inquired about 1898, they wanted to know why. I was told that, yes, they had something, but they kept it under lock and key. The story of Wilmington in 1898 still isn't widely known. What happened here on what's now just this empty patch of grass would radically change racial politics in North Carolina. This is the story of an American election, but also of something we don't usually find in American history, the violent overthrow of a democratically elected government. In the late 1800s, Wilmington, North Carolina was the state's largest city. It had a majority black population and historians today describe it as a rarity in the post-Civil War American South. Wilmington, prior to November 1898, was what the New South could be at the cusp of the 20th century. There was uh, an unusual degree of, of black prosperity. In Wilmington, there were successful black entrepreneurs, doctors, teachers, but also black elected officials. And for a time, that was true throughout the state. Take a look at the politicians on this poster of the 1889 North Carolina House of Representatives. Here at the bottom are black Republican representatives, some from Wilmington. North Carolina also sent four black Republicans to the U.S. Congress between 1875 and 1899. The Democratic and Republican parties of 1898 in many ways occupied opposite parts of the political spectrum than they do today. Most African Americans were voting for the Republican Party, and the Democratic Party was white voters almost exclusively. White supremacy was the central focus of the platform for the Democratic Party. Republicans in North Carolina were successful in part because of a third party called the Populist Party, made up of mostly white farmers fed up with the tough economic times. North Carolina populists joined up with Republicans to form what they called the Fusion Party. And in the elections of 1894 and 1896, the Fusion Party defeated the Democrats in sweeping victories statewide. 
That meant North Carolina now had a government that shared power between black and white politicians, including a newly elected Republican governor. Together, they moved towards reforms that would favor black Americans and working class whites. This was something that the Democratic Party folks were, not, were simply not going to accept. A multiracial government wasn't just a disappointment for Democrats. It was more like a humiliation. They needed a plan to take back control of the state in the next election. So party leaders like Fernifold Simmons, future U.S. Senator, Charles Aycock, future North Carolina governor, and this man, Alfred Moore Waddell, came up with one to beat the fusion party by luring white populist voters away from their alliance with black voters. Wilmington, with a large black population and a local fusion government in power, would be a focus of their campaign. The state Democratic Party handbook for 1898 laid out their goal, consolidate the white vote by stoking white anger and resentment. It said, this is a white man's country and white men must control and govern it. Their most effective tool was the media. One of North Carolina's biggest newspapers was a Democratic Party mouthpiece. It ran racist political cartoons throughout 1898. Not everybody was literate in 1898, but to see a political cartoon of the type that ran, you may not be able to read it, but you know exactly what it means. Many of the cartoons were centered on the threat of Negro rule, even though the fusion government was mostly white. They also played up another fear. Black men threatening white women became a theme. White men need to do all that they can to protect white womanhood. This was all part of North Carolina Democratic strategy, but it echoed the national racist rhetoric of the time. In one speech that Democrats printed in a Wilmington paper, a prominent Georgia writer named Rebecca Felton said, If it takes lynching a black man a day to protect white womanhood, I say lynch. Her speech prompted a Wilmington black man named Alex Manley, owner of the Black Run Daily Record newspaper, to respond with a column. He made a simple observation that, at the time, was shocking that white women who had liaisons with black men did so voluntarily and uh, enthusiastically. Manley wrote, every Negro lynched is called a big burly black brute, when in fact, many were sufficiently attractive for white girls to fall in love with them. Manley pretty much said, in a nutshell, sometimes white women choose to be with black men. Manley's editorial became another tool for Democrats. Newspapers reprinted it, called it a horrid slander, and ran comments about it on a daily basis. It was just a few months before the election, and white voters were angry. By the time the election rolls around on November 8th, um, black voters, Republican voters, had been thoroughly intimidated here. By all accounts, the elections of 1898 were a sham. The Democratic Party had a paramilitary group called the Red Shirts. They attacked and blocked black residents from voting. At a rally just before the election, Alfred Moore Waddell provoked the crowds. He said, Negro office holding ought at once and forever be brought to an end, even if we have to choke the current of the Cape Fear River with carcasses. The votes were counted and the Democrats won. 
Democratic candidates won every seat they had a candidate up for election in. But some local fusionist politicians remained in power because their seats hadn't been up for re-election, like the white Republican mayor and the board of aldermen. And of course, the election did nothing to undo the economic power black folks held in the city. The Democrats had won the election, but their goal of total white supremacist control remained out of reach. And so they engineered what was essentially a coup d'etat. The day after the election, at a gathering for white men in Wilmington, the Democrats unveiled a document called the White Declaration of Independence. It contained an ultimatum. Cynthia Brown, whose descendants were in Wilmington back in 1898, is a historian at her church where there's a preserved copy of the declaration from the next day's newspaper. We will no longer be ruled and will never again be ruled by men of African origin. They would strip black men of voting rights. They would give white men a large part of the employment heretofore given to black men. And as for Alex Manley, we demand that he leave this city forever within 24 hours. The next morning, hundreds of white men marched to the offices of the Daily Record. Manley was gone. He had fled to save his own life. They set the Daily Record building on fire. This is where it once stood. Once the white leadership destroyed Alex Manley's printing press, they destroyed one way in which the African-American community in Wilmington could organize itself and keep itself informed. At City Hall, the mayor and board of aldermen were forced out. There's 200 armed men in City Hall at the time. They didn't do it of their own free will. And as they resigned, a new member selected by the Democratic Party was voted into office. Waddell, who once threatened to fill the Cape Fear River with black bodies, was the new mayor of Wilmington. Meanwhile, the mob had grown to about 2,000 men and the violence spilled into the streets. In these photos, X's mark where the first black residents were killed. The stories are that they were dumped into the river, um, and there are varying stories about how many people were killed. I see 40 to 60 clearly as fatalities as a result of the violence, but I think it was higher. Many black residents hid for days in the swamps and the wooded cemeteries in the city, including Cynthia's great-grandmother and thousands of other residents fled Wilmington never to return. Shortly afterward, Democrats printed booklets celebrating a glorious victory, and in the newspapers depicted black residents as the instigators. This image is a gross misrepresentation of what actually happened during 1898. You know, what you see is African-American men with guns, not white men with machine guns. The city never regained its black majority population. Jim Crow laws like literacy tests and poll taxes that prevented black people from voting were immediately enacted and Wilmington's spirit of black opportunity was crushed. Black political representation in the state was over. It would be 90 years until North Carolina elected its next black Congress member. Wilmington did a a really great job of covering up a very dark past for a very long time. 
Over the years, the textbooks on North Carolina's history have struggled to accurately describe what happened in 1898. This one from 1933 says the situation was unfortunate for both races. And this one from 1978 doesn't have that much more detail. But they both praise Charles Acock, a politician who helped perpetrate the riot. They say he had a keen mind and a kind heart, and that, in fact, he was one of the best friends that the colored people had in the state. It's a legacy that North Carolina has yet to fully undo. The names of the perpetrators are on Wilmington's school buildings and city parks. But the legacy is also bigger than those names. Turn on the news and the state's long history of political suppression echoes. And we turn to a strict new voter ID law in North Carolina. Racial gerrymandering and a push for new voting maps. The court says the Republican-led legislature redrew congressional districts along racial lines, violating the Constitution. There's a tremendous amount of intimidation that is still felt by the black community. It doesn't have to be mass mayhem and violence in the streets. The strategy shifts towards designing state laws in such a way that you could exclude blacks from uh, voter participation. The subliminal uh, pursuit of continuing the white declaration of independence. And if you don't see it for what it really is, it can happen all over again. a video put on by Vox and we'll be sharing that on our webpage too. I'm going to take a bit of a break and we'll be back in a bit. Please do stay tuned.
Fuck off, overproduced by Martin Hannett, take four. government has a firm policy not to capitulate to terrorist demands, that no concessions policy remains in force. In spite of the wildly speculative and false stories about arms for hostages and alleged ransom payments, we did not, repeat, did not trade weapons or anything else for hostages. The ballad of the bullet, some freedom or some bullshit. Will we ever do it bigger? Just keep settling for little shit. We brag on having bread, but none of us are bakers. We all talk having greens, but none of us own acres. If none of us own acres and none of us grow wheat, then who will feed our people when our people need to eat? So it seems our people starve from lack of understanding. Cause all we seem to give them is some ballin' and some dancing. And some talking about our car and imaginary mansions. We should be indicted for bullshit we inciting. Children deaf and pretending it's exciting. We are advertisements for agony and pain. We exploit the youth, we tell them to join the gang. We tell them dope stories, introduce them to the gang. Just like our love of North introduced us to cocaine. In the 80s when them bricks came on military plane. A few months ago I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. The end of the Reagan era, I'm like Lemma 12 old enough to understand the shit that changed forever. They declared a war on drugs, like a war on terror, but what it really did was let the police terrorize whoever. But mostly black boys, but they would call us niggas, and lay us on our belly while they fingers on their triggers. They boots was on our head, they dogs was on our crotches, and they would beat us up if we had diamonds on our watches. And they would take our drugs and monies as they pick our pockets. I guess that that's the privilege of policing for some profits. But thanks to Reaganomics, prison turned to profits. Cause free labor's the cornerstone of U.S. economics. Cause slavery was abolished unless you are imprisoned. You think I ambush it and then read the 13th Amendment. Involuntary servitude and slavery, it prohibits. That's why they giving drug offenders time and double digits. Ronald Reagan was an actor, not at all a factor. Just an employee of the country's real masters. Just like the Bushes, Clinton and Obama, just another talking head telling lies on teleprompters. If you don't believe the theory, then argue with this logic. Why did Reagan and Obama both go after Gaddafi? We invading sovereign soil, going after oil. Taking 
countries is a hobby paid for by the oil lobby. Same as in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'm a dinner jar, say they coming for Iran. They only love the rich and how they love the poor. If I say any more, they might be at my door. Who the fuck is that? Staring in my window, doing that surveillance on Mr. Michael Rinder. I'm dropping off the grid before they pump the lid. I leave you with four words, I'm glad Reagan did.
welcome back. We, uh, I'll share a list of all the songs that we played today on the show on our website, weeklyrev.org. That'll be up later today. And up next, I wanted to share a, an informative video. And this is attached to an article that was in uh, medium.com. And it's written by Indy Samarahiva. And the title is, I lived through a stupid coup. America is having one now. You've already lost. This is what America, Americans need to understand. And again, sometimes or often, yikes, things are scary and frustrating and uh, better to be as best prepared and knowledgeable as we can. So I'm going to share the video that is at the bottom of this article, which goes over some of these points and helpful to, uh, yeah, helpful to, to learn from folks who've been through it. Can I use the slide a little bit, darling? I'm sitting on the slide. Hi, I'm Indy. I'm going to talk to you about the coup that's happening in America right now. I won't tell you what's happening precisely to you in the storming of your capital, because I think you can watch TV. But I'm not sure that you can see. Now, I'm going to read to you from something that I wrote on November 10th. So a lot of people have seen this coming. I'm not some fucking crazy genius. I just live in Sri Lanka, and we've gone through a coup here, as many countries have. I think a lot of the world could tell you what's in front of your eyes, or you could also just look. There's this extreme reluctance in America to use words like coup, collapse, or corruption, and yet these are all things happening to you. So consider this some friendly advice from the rest of the world to whom what's happening to you right now is freaking obvious and has been obvious for months. So let me read to you a bit from this article. So two years ago, I lived through a coup in Sri Lanka. It was stupid. The minority party threw chili powder at everyone in parliament and took over by farce. Math, however, requires a majority, and the courts kicked them out. They gave in. We'd been protesting for weeks, and we thought, yay, we won. But no. And that's kind of what's happening to you, except I would say worse, because you're not really protesting. You seem quite dimly unaware of what's happening to you. You've been having a coup since the election. You've been having a coup kind of since before the election, when Trump was sort of destroying your post office boxes in front of you, and you still didn't see. And then during the election night, he tried to claim victory, and you still didn't see. And he never conceded defeat, and you still haven't seen. And the American system is, I think, ex exceptionally fucked up, because you sort of have a built-in constitutional coup. You give the loser power for months. I think in the beginning, it must have been enough time to ride a horse to the Capitol. Now it's enough time to burn down the Capitol. You have these months where President Trump has all the power and all the guns. And he has changed the, you know, the defense secretaries, all the people in charge of the guns. He has sort of consolidated that control. Anywhere else, we would call that a coup. He is spreading misinformation through the media channels he controls, including Fox News, OAN, whatever Newsmax dog shit people are watching, and then, of course, Twitter and Facebook, which have only sort of blocked his accounts now. Anywhere else, when you take over the guns and the media, you know what that is. That's a coup. I've seen this debate in your press about do we call it an auto-coup or a self-coup or some fucking like random French or Turkish words and like who gives a shit? Who's a coup? You're fucked. Now I think it's perhaps become obvious because you're having what we had. So we had our parliamentarians, at least they were allowed in parliament, and, they, and all they brought was chili powder. You guys have mobs of people who are riled up by Trump across the street breaking into your capital with guns and someone was killed. And this is insane. It's also an attack on your very institutions and the perception of your democracy. And that's what's so corrosive about what Trump is doing. 
So what I talk about in this article is the long-term consequences of a coup. Because in our, in our case, I guess we, tech, yeah, we rolled it back. The court said, hey, you need a majority to be in parliament. You guys have to go. But the damage was done. A coup is, the French word is like a blow or a strike. It's an attack. So someone can stop hitting you and you can still be injured. And what I'm telling you now is America is grievously injured. What Trump has attacked is something even we haven't attacked, which is the very sanctity of your elections. Now, I've heard a political scientist say that what's, you know, the bare minimum for a democracy, and it's having elections, just choosing, like, who fucks you for the next four years. You guys are attacking that bare minimum, the idea of elections, the idea that elections count. And what people, I think, don't understand is that politics isn't laws. Politicians make laws. Politics is norms. So if the norm is to reject election results you don't win and to stage like a coup, then guess what? That's your new normal. That's where you live now. And if you don't resist that, and if you don't prosecute these people, and if you don't fight back, that's who you are. And people say, oh, it's impossible. It'll be, like, unstable. But then look at South Korea. Every living president in South Korea is, has a criminal record now. So they've, they've, like, I mean, it's almost like once you leave the president of the Blue House, you go straight to, uh, straight to court. And honestly, that's how it should be. I think jails should be reserved for, you know, like, heads of state. Like, just immediately after their term, just send them there. It seems like they've definitely done something. Americans are so resistant to this idea, and yet this is where you are today. After Watergate, someone at least resigned, but after Iran-Contra, nothing happened. So those fuckers are still in your government now. And after each successive corruption after each successive scandal there's no accountability at the top and that goes for your media as well you have the same weird stupid white people just trying to figure stuff out saying everything is fine everything's not fine and anyone like me could tell you sitting in sri lanka or you could ask like a cab driver in lagos or dhaka or many of the immigrants around you or maybe even your parents they would tell you that hey when there's people in the streets with guns they're going to use them as your children's book goes if you give a mouse a cookie pretty soon it's going to want some milk if you give a jackass an AR-15, pretty soon he's going to use it. And this is where you are now. And you need to, I, I've seen some of your media calling this a coup now, which is like, yes, a bit fucking late, isn't it? You got guns in the parliament. It's a bit late. I don't know what the message is for you here. So people ask me what to do, and like, I don't know. <laughs> but I can tell you what we live through. And that is, if you don't hold these guys accountable, guess what? They'll take power, eventually. They'll keep coming back. They'll keep coming back. So the guys who staged the coup in our parliament are in power now. Um, because what they essentially did was they broke our government. They broke it to the point that we completely missed a terrorist attack. 269 people died. Then they helped incite racial riots against Muslims who were honestly warning about this particular terrorist cell for years. And they rode that wave of just chaos and fear to power. And so, literally, these guys will light... This is the Reichstag fire. Like, by all accounts, Hitler lit it. You can, if you light your own parliament on fire, the electorate will often re reward the people who lit the fire. And these people are lighting a fire under your ass. And it's time to wake up. Now, people... Now, one thing you need to understand about time is when I say time to wake up, I think Americans are used to, like, oh, you get a gang of teenagers together and they'll solve the problem and it'll be over and then the cop cars arrive. And that's just not how it works. This is a generational change. It's a generational problem. Literally, you need old idiots to die and new, slightly less idiotic people to replace them. You're looking at... So I've written about the collapse in Sri Lanka and how it took... how it happened when I was one and it took until I was 30 to, to sort of stabilize. That's what you guys are looking at. You're looking at a generational struggle. Things are super fucked for you. Your country's super messed up. Like, you're poor, you're sick, you're dying. 
Your institutions are falling apart. You think you're some great old democracy and it's gonna to return to normal. You were never an old democracy. You're younger than us. American democracy is only about 55 years old. You didn't have one person, one vote, until black people fought for it and won it for you in 1965. Your founders are black. You're who you call your founders. Those are just a bunch of rich white guys that didn't want to pay taxes, AKA Republicans. At founding, only 6% of the population could vote. America's a very young and frankly unstable democracy. And you guys have been watching the third world and seeing like, oh, they're so fucked up. Oh my gosh, they can't hold a government together. But we're ahead of you on the curve. We've, we're actually many, in most cases, older democracies than you. And now you're going through what we did, which is there's racial tension, there's sectarian tension. Someone tries to take all of the power. And that's exactly what's happening to you. White power is trying to take what it had for most of your history, which is all of the power. And you're only being saved by the skin of your teeth by essentially black voters. And if you don't stand up and fight this on a generational level, and I'm talking about making your kids better. I'm talking about showing up and organizing in your communities. I'm not talking about saying, oh, this is crazy, or expecting your op-ed writers who are fucking idiots to do this for you. I'm saying you have a generational struggle, not for the soul of your democracy, but for the birth of your democracy. Yeah, like the soul of American democracy is enslavement and white power. You guys need a rebirth. And in 1965, they tried it, but the work is obviously yet undone. So I'll just close by reading a bit from the article. If you can hear the drums in the background, I think there's some sort of temple ceremony. So the damage from the coup has been done. You need to realize that. It's not like, oh, you just kick these like idiots out of parliament and everything's better now. The damage has been done. The blow has been struck. The trauma, the injury is there. There's a ticking bomb at the heart of your democracy now. Your government, the very idea of governance is fatally wounded. And let's be clear, your Republican Party has been drowning the idea of governance in a bathtub for over 40 years now. Chaos has been planted at its heart. I don't know what this chaos will grow into, but I can promise you this, it won't be good. Please understand. Now, when I wrote this, I was saying that, oh, your people in Michigan storming the state capitol, people showing guns, these are the seeds of chaos. But now, in, on January 7th, I think you can very clearly see the fruit. And the fruit will only get more rotten and more violent the longer you do nothing. I'll actually close with my experience, which is when the coup happened, we went on the street and we protested and we got the idiots out of parliament and we thought it was over. But as I said, the government was crippled. And then that terrorist attack came out of, I mean, it seemed to come out of nowhere, but in fact, the seeds have been there all along. When you weaken your government, you lose governance. And government is actually doing some things. It's protecting you. I don't want you crazy bastards to get all riled up about terrorism. That's not your problem. Your problem is white terrorism. For love of God, leave like Muslim people and brown people alone. But what I'm saying is you open a Pandora's box of crazy and God knows what's going to come out. This is just the beginning. What I want you to understand, but what I fear you cannot understand is that you have fucked with chaos and now chaos will fuck with you. To quote Yeats, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dim tide is loosed, and everywhere, the ceremony of innocence is drowned. So I'll close with the one thing that kept my own family safe. Good luck. Wow. Um, we'll be sharing this video on our website, weeklyrev.org, and also the article written by uh, Indy Samariva. Wow, very informative. Going to take a bit of a music break and be back in a bit, so please do stay tuned. I dance the 
This one goes out to June. If anybody knows the lyrics, come on, sing it with us, because uh, we're going to need the help. Because here, I'll take drop. All right. A song called Kill the Nazis by Total Chaos. Putting that energy out into the universe. On our website, we're going to have a link. It's a Google Doc page, so it's easier for me to share the link than to talk about it. But I do want to ask folks to check it out. It'll be up there today. That's a link to folks in D.C., donation links. So including the D.C. Fridge Collective. Well, I can read that. The cash app is cash, the dollar sign D.C. Fridge Collective. And there's a lot of other links as well to other mutual aid uh, people and places. Uh, D.C. underscore protests. Uh, Feed the People's one as well. A lot of other links there. So we will be sharing that link on our webpage. If you are able, please do donate to folks who are in D.C., at the moment. And coming up next, I'm going to do my best to read this article that came out from the Oakland side, and this was out on January 6th. Uh, what privilege looks like. Oaklanders reflect on mob takeover of U.S. Capitol. Oakland activists and advocates compare today's treatment of pro-Trump insurrectionists with what they've witnessed at local protests. <sighs> Get myself together in one moment here. And that was a good time, I guess, to say thanks for tuning in to Mutiny Radio. We have shows here every day of the week. If you're interested in doing a show here of your own, please check out mutinyradio.fm. And also, if you'd like to donate to the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, we have a Patreon up at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Looking for anywhere from a dollar a month and more. It would really help. I can't say how much it would help um, to help. Uh, continue doing the show here with the space and keeping our website going and providing folks with accurate information. Uh, I think it's really important to do that. So if you're able to help, please do. So this article, again, it's from the Oakland side, and it came out on January 6th. As today's terrible, terrible events unfolded, a mob of extremist Trump supporters broke into the Capitol building to prevent democratic processes Many noted the wholly inadequate law enforcement response. Police were either unprepared, or, which is not true, or unwilling to f use force to stop the mostly white rioters from marauding through Senate and House hallways and chambers. A woman was shot and killed in the Capitol. Others were injured. And the work of counting the electoral college votes was delayed as our elected representatives fled from the mob. When black and brown Americans engage in disruptive political protest, they're often met with overwhelming aggression by law enforcement. Today's events underscore this discrepancy, just one of the ways that Americans of color are treated differently by police. Uh, we've asked seven Oaklanders who ha all have various experiences with local community organizing to give us their thoughts on what happened today and why this wasn't a protest and what it means for our community and country. 
So the first uh, person they speak with is uh, Dennis Ivan Perez Bravo, a photojournalist who covers local protests. And uh, Dennis Ivan Perez Bravo is an undocumented Oakland-raised photographer with uh, Richmond Pulse, a youth-led media outlet. He's covered hunger strikes in Antioch, civil unrest throughout the Bay Area, and a Proud Boys rally at UN Plaza in San Francisco. Having covered protests led by people on very different sides of the political spectrum, Perez Bravo has noticed a stark contrast in how law enforcement officers approach black and brown protesters compared to their handling of Trump supporters who are far more likely to be white. I've seen two types of responses, one being very militant and threatening towards protesters, he said about the police responses to black and brown activists. When it comes to right-wingers, there's a lot of leeway. I have seen police officers and Trump supporters take selfies with each other, a phenomenon seen in D.C. today as well. Of course, there's always arrests on both sides, but you can't negate the fact that they feel comfortable around police officers, Perez Bravo said, describing the two Americas he feels we live in. He's been experiencing a disturbance like today's... He's been expecting a disturbance like today's mob takeover of the Capitol. It's logical, he said. All the events that have transpired since Trump was elected have led up to this moment. Next up is Kat Brooks, who was a guest on the show a couple years ago. Uh, Kat Brooks, executive director of Justice Teams Network and also of the Anti-Police Terror Project. Uh, if you're surprised about what's happening in D.C. right now, you haven't been paying attention, said Kat Brooks, executive director of Justice Teams Network and co-founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project in a phone interview today. Trump has been allowed to run amok within the Republican Party and allowed to espouse hate and lies. He's repeatedly used his rhetoric to mobilize violence against, against marginalized community members, and now that violence has turned on the Capitol. Brooks, an Oakland resident, has led protests against police violence in the Bay Area for over a decade. Some of the rallies and direct actions she's been involved with have caused interruptions of Oakland City Council meetings, freeway shutdowns, and other disruptive moments all which might seem tactically similar to the takeover of the U.S. Capitol today. But Brooks said, the differences are immense. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what's different is the not-so-subtle threat of violence, she said, about the protesters in D.C. and their supporters, many of whom, uh, many who have espoused the use of violence to prevent the transfer of power to the Biden administration later this month. What's different also is the place where it's coming from, said Brooks. She said direct actions she's taken part in may have been disruptive, but they came from a place of love, meant to undo structural violence and inequality. White people shutting down Congress are doing it in the name of hate and white supremacist violence, she said. Scenes on social media and TV from today's events concern Brooks. She said it's a particularly dangerous time for black people in America as racial hatred is once more stirred up. I think black people, even here in Oakland, should be careful. But she also sees what's happening in D.C. as a sign that the nation is changing for the better. When something is dying, and it knows it's dying, it fights harder and gasps for breath and kicks and screams. And that's what we're watching white supremacy do right now, said Brooks, adding, however, that she thinks it's as important as ever for people to keep organizing for racial justice. Next up is Aishatu Yusuf, a criminal justice reform advocate. Um, Aishatu Yusuf, Yusuf is the Director of Innovation Programs at Impact Justice, a criminal justice reform organization headquartered in Oakland. Wha while she's been an activist here for a number of years, Yusuf also lived and worked uh, previously in Washington, D.C. Uh, she was still making sense of the events unfolding in her former home when she spoke with the Oakland side, but was quick to say what she thinks it boils down to. I think this has been such a clear indication of what it means to exhibit white privilege and who gets the privilege of being seen as non-criminal in our nation. 
In Oakland, people were tear gassed for peacefully walking down Broadway, said Yusuf. But we have white people right now literally breaking windows, climbing buildings, and threatening the lives of our legislative body. Watching the mayhem unfold in D.C., Yusuf drew on her experiences as a justice reform advocate. I'm often talking about people that have committed crimes. What that means is, I have to dig a little deeper to see the humanity in folks that may have caused harm, she said. But this is simple. This is literally like apples to apples. What black people can do and what white people can do. When black people and Colin Kaepernick decided they were going to take a knee, when black people and Colin Kaepernick decided they were going to take a knee, kneeling was too much. But clearly, climbing up the nation's capital while being armed is okay as long as you're white. There is no greater explanation for it aside from white supremacy. Yusuf acknowledged that during protests against police violence in Oakland this year, some chose to break windows or instigate confrontations. A mob she's been witnessing, the mob she's been witnessing in D.C., she said, is entirely different. Their entire purpose has to come out and storm and cause harm because this is all about race. This is about Kamala winning. This is about our elected officials saying that black lives do matter, immigrant lives do matter, COVID-19 relief is important. If there's a silver lining, Yusuf hopes that people who have refused to acknowledge uh, the depth of racism and white privilege in America until now will take a hard look at what's happening and have a deeper understanding of what privilege looks like. George Galvis founder of C-U-R-Y-J and an Oakland parent. Uh, George Galvis is the executive director of Communities United for Restorative Youth Justice, a nonprofit in Fruitvale. He founded C-U-R-Y-J to advocate for the end of punitive policies and law enforcement tactics that negatively impact communities of color, particularly youth. In June, Galvis was one of the several prominent Oakland activists who organized a successful anti-curfew demonstration. His daughter also took part in a student-led march from Oakland Technical High School, calling for justice for George Floyd. He said she was forcefully arrested by OPD that evening. Galvis followed the events at the Capitol building in D.C. today, and nothing he saw surprised him. For many of us who have been on the front lines for demanding human dignity, defunding the police, and saying Black Lives Matter, this is not a shock, Galvis told the Oakland side. Any reasonably intelligent person could anticipate this, so the excuse that police were unprepared is a feeble attempt to defend the indefensible. He referred to the large mob of pro-Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol as terrorists. I don't think I'm being inflammatory using the word terrorist, because the definition of a terrorist is someone who uses unlawful violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in the pursuit of poli political aims. Galvis grew up in San Francisco's Mission District in the 1980s and remember having violent run-ins with law enforcement. He was involved in a fight with another student at Herbert Hoover Middle School, which culminated in him being punched in the face by a police officer who was white. I was shocked. I looked at the vice principal, another white man, and he just looked away, Galvis said. Galvis's personal encounters with law enforcement officers are in stark contrast to what he witnessed today. I think if there is any silver lining to this, it's that hopefully this pulls the veil off people who want to believe otherwise, he said. Next up is Mike Hutchinson, a new Oakland school board member. Mike Hutchinson, the newly elected school board member for District 5, has been participating in protests around Oakland for his entire life, particularly those focused on education issues. For the past several years, he has been active in protesting against school closures in the Oakland Unified School District. At one meeting in October 2019, activists protesting a recent board decision to close Kaiser Elementary School were met with violence from Oakland's school police, who normally did not have such a presence at school board meetings. 
Oakland City Police were also deployed, and several attendees suffered injuries during the commotion. The school district is apparent is currently facing a lawsuit filed by some of the protesters. Hutchinson, who was at the meeting and filmed what happened, reflected on today's seemingly mild response from Capitol Police, ex- Police as extremists rushed into the Capitol building, saying the two situations are starkly different. The protest at the, squ- at the school board meeting was for families, including children, teachers, and community members, to sing songs and chant. This is, that is nowhere near storming a government building with weapons on you, he said. Hutchinson sees a connection between the chaotic OUSD meeting and subsequent decisions to close schools and the fact that no existing school board members decided to run for re-election last year. Uh, an Oakland native, he ran for the District 5 seat, his third attempt partly to have more influence on the relationship between the school board and the community. Leadership decides what the response is going to be. In Oakland, the school board decided to escalate and have a police presence protecting them and to unleash that force on the community that elected them, he said. In D.C., meanwhile, Hutchinson noted President Trump held a rally and encouraged his supporters to walk up Pennsylvania Avenue and head for the Capitol. If that was me, I would be in jail right now for inciting a riot. Next up is Juan Alfredo Prieto, immigrant youth organizer. Last July, Juan Alfredo Prieto, a dreamer and political organizer with the California Immigrant Youth Justice Alliance, joined a group of immigration attorneys, undocumented organizers, and supporters to lock himself down in the street while outside Governor Gavin Newsom's Sacramento mansion. The activists were protesting the release of people who are currently incarcerated in... Oh, sorry. The activists were protesting for the release of people who are currently incarcerated in California state prisons and immigration detention facilities. Over a dozen of the activists were arrested and thrown in jail for over 16 hours, including Prieto. Prieto noted the very different police treatment of pro-Trump insurrectionists who stormed the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. today. We are living in a system that has historically prioritized the lives of white people at the expense of people of color, he said. Prieto wants members of the media to acknowledge their role in shaping public perceptions of social justice protests led by black and brown Americans, like those seen after the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor this summer. A lot of times, the mass media has sort of erased what anti-fascism is because they use Trump's language, he said. He hopes that today's events will clarify for more people what he sees as a real threat to American democracy. If thousands of people are saying that they disagree with a democratic election and we're going to get our way whether you like it or not, that's fascism, he said. Next up is Tim Huey, political organizer. Today, while Tim Huey was boarding a plane back to Oakland after a week of exhausting but rewarding get-out-the-vote activism in Georgia, he didn't realize scores of pro-Trump extremists were arriving at the Capitol. Fortunately, unfortunately, Delta had live TV streaming on its planes, Huey joked during an interview conducted via text message Wednesday. Huey, who's participated in many protests and civil disobedience actions in Oakland through Agents for Black Lives, said he can empathize with the rush to do something so bold that you believe in to push back at the process that you think is wrong. But that's where the comparison between the D.C. insurrections and local social justice protests stops for him. It's a matter of power and leverage, where community activists have limited leverage in formal decision-making power, he said. Some observers have drawn comparisons between the D.C. riots and the many times Oakland activists have taken over city council chambers to prevent votes, he noted. But those protesters were challenging a democratic process they found inaccessible and opaque. 
and local policymaking affecting the welfare of working folk and family, he said. Contrast that with Trumpists who have had plenty of opportunity, leverage, and power to question the validity of the election and have turned up no evidence of widespread fraud, said Huey. Huey is concerned about what today's riots mean for the response to future unrelated protests in Oakland and beyond. The on-site law enforcement have kept sort of a stance of low, restrained resistance to the storming of the Capitol, but this may be used as rationale for far more severe responses uh, to the next disruption of any government body, he said, which honestly is more likely to be a disruption done by black activists, coalitions of color, sustainable economy activists, native folk, and working class folk. Wow, lots of words of wisdom there. And you can find this article again at Oakland Side, and we'll also share in the link on our website at weeklyrev.org. I'm a little bit uh, frazzled today, not sure why I didn't meditate this morning, but that's okay. It's 1.31. Okay, we're going to take a music break, and then we'll be back in a bit. And this next song is called Building Heaven on Earth. I haven't heard it before, and hopefully it's uh, pretty awesome.
Come get out of the way, boys. Quick, get out of the way. You'd better watch what you say, boys. Better watch what you say. We've rammed in your harbor and tied to your port. And our pistols are hungry and our tempers are short. So bring your daughters around to the fore. Cause we're the cops of the world, boys. We're the cops of the world. We pick and choose as we please, boys. Pick and choose as we please. You'd best get down on your knees, boys. Best get down on your knees. We're hairy and horny and ready to shack. And we don't care if you're yellow or black. Just take off your clothes and lay down on your back. Cause we're the cops of the world, boys. We're the cops of the world. Our boots are needing a shine, boys. Boots are needing a shine. But our Coca-Cola is fine, boys. Coca-Cola is fine. We've got to protect all our citizens fair. So we'll send a battalion for everyone there. And maybe we'll leave in a couple of years. Cause we're the cops of the world, boy. We're the cops of the world. And dump the reds in a pile, boy. Dump the reds in a pile. You'd better wipe off that smile, boy. Better wipe off that smile. We'll spit through the streets of the cities we wreck. And we'll find you a leader that you can elect. Those treaties we signed were a pain in the neck. Cause we're the cops of the world, boys. We're the cops of the world. And clean the Johns with a rag, boys. Clean the Johns with a rag. If you like, you can use your flag, boys. If you like, you can use your flag. We've got too much money, we're looking for toys. And guns will be guns, and boys will be boys. But we'll gladly pay for all we destroy. Cause we're the cops of the world, boys We're the cops of the world Please stay off of the grass, boys Please stay off of the grass Here's a kick in the ass, boys Here's a kick in the ass We'll smash down your doors, we don't bother to knock. We've done it before, so why all the shock? We're the biggest and the toughest kids on the block. And we're the cops of the world, boys. We're
we're the cops of the world And when we butchered your sons, boy When we butchered your sons Have a stick of our gum, boys Have a stick of our bubble gum We own half the world, oh say can you see And the name for our profits is democracy So like it or not, you will have to be free Cause we're the cops of the world, boys We're the cops of the world Everybody knows the deal is rotten. Oh, 
black Joe still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows. And everybody knows. And everybody knows that the plague is coming. Everybody knows that it's moving fast. Everybody knows that the naked man and woman are just a shining artifact of the past. Everybody knows the scene is dead, but there's gonna be a meter on your bed that will disclose what everybody knows. Everybody knows that you're in trouble Everybody knows what you've been through From the bloody cross on top of Calvary To the beach of Malibu Everybody knows it's coming upon Take one last look at this sacred heart Before it blows And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody, well, ooh, I didn't mean to fade it that fast. Welcome back. I'm going to be playing music for the next 10 minutes or so. Thanks so much for tuning in. Wow, there's a lot to process and unpack. Wow. So, again, please check out our website, weeklyrev.org. We've got links to the articles that we read and the videos that we shared today, as well as a link to the playlist that will be up later today. So thanks again so much. Uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, stay safe, as safe as one can, everyone. And... Uh, that's all I can say. Take care. Been walking along the railroad tracks. Long some places, no going back. Highway patrol choppers coming up over the ridge. Hot soup on a campfire under the bridge. Shelter line stretching around the corner. Welcome to the new world order. Families sleeping in their cars in the southwest. No home, no job, no peace, no rest. Well, the highway is alive tonight.
Tom said, Mom, wherever there's a cop beating a guy, wherever a hungry and born baby cries, where there's a fight against the blood and hatred in the air, look for me, Mom, I'll be there. Wherever somebody's fighting for a place to stand, for a decent job or a helping hand Wherever somebody's struggling to be free Look in their eyes, my, you'll see me
me that beat, Max. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience, like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hey, you, poetry reader. This is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. We also have a soul and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast. Zoomed every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, 
has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it and don't let the poets lie to you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. San Francisco, what are you doing this week? Come join Mutiny Radio Presents for four different comedy shows supporting local businesses in the Mission District and beyond. On Sunday, join us in the Tenderloin at Resolute Wine Bar, 678 Geary, for Barrel of Laughs at Resolute, an amazing comedy show with the best wines curated by Resolute. On Wednesdays, join us at Asiento. And 21st and Bryant for dinner and a show at Asiento. Delicious tapas, incredible drinks, hilarious comedy. Wednesday nights at 7.30. On Fridays at 7 o'clock, join us outside MutinyRadio.fm here at 21st and Florida. 7 o'clock for outdoor comedy, socially distanced in the street. And Saturdays, join us at Atlas Cafe SF at 20th in Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio. <laughs> <laughs> 